Sound Geek. We're talking movies for In the House, Event Cinema's latest program uh, this year. Get the Geek, a very big part of it. We are up to week two, Beverly Hills Cop. We're going to talk about it. My name is Mitch. Joining me, Matty Gibson. Well, hello. Oh, I expect you to do some kind of bam, 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 comedic actors or comedians of all time, Eddie Murphy. And for me, I think 84, I was born in 86. Even though this is much more of an adult sort of movie, I, I feel like I grew up with this movie. Yeah, well, I'm an 84 kid, so I have a bit of a, you know, a bit of a soft spot for this one. And I'm the same as you. I, I grew up on all of this stuff watching it much younger than I should have. Uh, I'm the youngest of three kids, so my sisters are like five and nine years older. So the amount of stuff I was watching as like a six-year-old should not have been. Um, <laughs> you know, but this is also around the same time as that Eddie Murphy did like Delirious, which I've seen... I think it's probably the, my most watched Eddie Murphy performance of ever is, is him doing his stand-up routines of Delirious and Raw. So, you know, these I'm hoping you didn't watch perfect. those when you were like six and shit. Like those were... Oh, I, w- I, would say, I would say ten. Wow. I would say ten was the first time I saw <laughs> Delirious and Raw. Look, we are talking a lot about Eddie Murphy. Can we just point out, for anyone who doesn't know, this movie... It's, I think I'm going to say the most iconic Eddie Murphy character that he has played uh, in, a, in a, you know, fictional sort of... Yeah, Axel Foley, definitely. Axel Foley. This was a movie that was written for Sylvester Stallone. I know, right? It was funny when you said action comedy. It just sort of made me think, oh, God, can you imagine it was just a straight-up action movie, like a straight-up Stallone action movie, how terrible it would be? Because Stallone, obviously, you know, a, a great action star, one of the greatest of all time. At that time, right at the peak, you know, when you got your Rambos, you got your Rockies, you know, a sort of, you know, unspoken but spoken rivalry with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, you know, the king daddy of action stars. I kind of feel like if this was a Stallone film, as different as it would have been, so we almost can't really compare it, but I want to say that it would have almost disappeared in his back catalogue. Like, it wouldn't stand out like it does because of Eddie Murphy. Like, without him, this movie doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, half the the fun of this film is the the playing between genres, you know, of the, you know, the, the action and the comedy, you know. It's playing... I guess they're trying to probably cash in on a bit of the 48 Hours, you know, which was Eddie Murphy's big, you know, first film, um, trying to sort of recreate that magic, but then letting Eddie just be Eddie rather than having to try to be reined in by Nick Nolte in, in 48 hours. He could just be him, you know, and then let him take the lead and just do do what he wanted to do. And I think that was half the fun of this film is the – because it does get pretty dark in certain places when you think about it for a, something that is sort of as a sub-genre as a, as a comedy – it's just, it's really, it's it's almost like it's its own genre. It's an Eddie Murphy movie. It's like that's its own genre in its in itself. But, yeah, you're right. Like, you look at, he's got 48 hours, he's got Trading Places, and then it's Beverly Hills Cop in 84, and then just an absolute series of his classics. And this film was actually the first of seven Eddie Murphy films in a row to open number one at the box office. Yeah, like, this would have, I feel, disappeared in a Sylvester Stallone back catalogue of films for Eddie Murphy. Like, I'm reading, in 1984, this is the second highest grossing film worldwide in that year. Yeah, $230 million. Like, these sort of movies don't make this money these days. Well, think about it. 1984, it was a $14 million budget, which is pretty high for, a, you know, an 80s film, yeah. but grossed $230 million just in the USA. 
and it was the highest rating. Get this, you'll love this being, you know, we did uh, Matrix a few weeks ago. It's the highest rating, highest grossing R-rated film in the U.S., until Matrix Revolutions in 2003. What? That it long? Held, it held the title as the highest grossing R-rated film from 1984 wow. to 2003. Isn't that just insane? And as far as benchmarks go as well, it was the first film to have a release of over 2,000 theatres in the US as well. Like, it, it's... I, honestly, like, I grew up with this movie. I've always loved it. Like I said, it's the iconic Eddie Murphy film and role for me, but I didn't realise just sort of how game-changing... And not to mention that, you know, I mean, in this day and age it doesn't seem that crazy, but in 1984 for an African-American man to headline a movie and for it to make that sort of coin just never happened. You know, it didn't happen like that. Um, So it was really revolutionary for its time. Even 48 Hours and Trading Places, they had to wheel in an old-school white man to sort of play off him with Nick Nolte and Dan Aykroyd. This was the first time where he was... You know, he was the kingpin. He was the one, he, the whole movie rested on him. And to think that Stallone, it wasn't, I mean, depending on different reasons that you might read or hear from him in interviews, Stallone, there is quotes out there that where he said he didn't feel right for this when the creative guys behind it really wanted to stick with as much comedy as they wanted to inject in the role because he said he didn't feel like he was going to be able to carry that. He wanted this to be more of an action film and it was much more of a revenge flick. And for anyone who has now seen the film, whether it be for the first time or back on the big screen again, it ends in the daytime at a mansion surrounded by guys as if Eddie Murphy's playing Time Crisis, just random guys popping up behind pot plants, <laughs> out of windows, you know, Dressed turning very around. much like Time Crisis <laughs> just as well. bang, 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 bang. Oh, there's another henchman dead. Move forward into the next room. Oh, here's another. Like, how many people are at Maitland's place? Like, how did no one know this guy was this insane drug dealer when he's got, like, yeah. hundreds of henchmen around this, you know, lockdown mansion? But... I read that the original ending of this film was a mano e mano car chase between Maitland and Foley at night time and Maitland died with his car crashing into an oncoming train. Like, much more personal, much more Wasn't brutal. Wasn't that the end of Bad Boys? <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't on an airfield. That was an airfield. That's right. Yeah, it was an airfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it could have been such a different movie. I honestly don't feel like we're talking about it. I don't feel like it wouldn't be making a film festival like this, cult film classics. But it's – and in a way, this does seem like a strange movie to make that because I don't think of this as being a niche sort of audience movie. But I guess it, it had every opportunity to become that and it just became so much more. I'm reading the directors. Martin Scorsese was offered the chance to direct this. David Cronenberg, wow. who does not make movies like this, was asked to direct, but he turned it down as well, probably because he doesn't make movies like this. <laughs> One interesting fact, though, when you look at actually who did direct it, Martin Brest, and I'm like, OK, cool, I recognise that name, but I think only because of Beverly Hills Cop. This was his third feature film. He went on to make Midnight Run a couple of years later. Then he had Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. Meet Joe Black. I remember watching that back in the day. I think I was far too young to watch that. But Brad Pitt, Anthony Hopkins about death. And then five years later, he made Jiggly with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Do you know what he made after that? I'm going to say not a lot. He made nothing after that. (laughs) He has no directing credits beyond Jiggly, which at the time was described as one of the worst films of all time, and it looks like this was an absolute career killer for him. I feel like, yeah, the the phone would have been ringing a lot (laughs) once that came out. No, I mean, really, I was going to say probably not too many people. Probably the only people that survived that film were the... uh, 
two lead actors. I mean, hell, they they broke up after that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, so clearly it didn't really work out well for them <laughs> either. Uh, keen action movie fans of the 1980s, you might uh, recognise the actual mansion that I just mentioned uh, in the final shootout, the Maitland Mansion. Mm. Uh, it's the same mansion that uh, the final shootout happens in a film from the year later, Commando, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, goes onto an Are island and there's a mansion. Yeah, it's the same mansion. They goes, there's this massive shootout. I think just my, my stupid audience brain, I watch this taking place in Beverly Hills. That's a mansion in Beverly Hills. I watch yeah, that totally. film. There's a mansion on an island. I'm like, oh, well, that's on an island. It's not the same one. But, yeah, just for anyone out there who, who is, a, 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 you know, a fan of those films at the time, then that's the, that was the same location used in, uh, in those two films. But, um I do want to talk about uh, the, what I consider the MVP for this film and potentially the franchise, if you, you know, not including Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Serge. 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 You sound so, like a detergent. Um, old mate Balky from um, Perfect Strangers. Yeah. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> No, he, you're right. He is great. I actually thought you were going for uh, Billy, uh, who's obviously great in, in all three films, Judge Reinhold. But, yeah, Serge is just one of those he characters. He is good, Serge. Just his, his transition. I mean, obviously, he's not in the second film, but, you know, from the first to the third, he goes from an art gallery to, to just making weapons that have microwaves built into them. Yeah. It's just such a, just a huge, broad arc. I just, I just, I love him so much. You are so kind describing the third film. You are so kind describing that jumping of the shark as an arc. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because isn't it sad that, like, when you think about this film, 1984 through until the early 90s, Beverly Hills Cop 3. And for anyone who is seeing Beverly Hills Cop for the first time, watching this for this program, or if you have have watched it in the past but you've never explored the rest of the franchise, number two I actually do quite enjoy. Uh, I I do enjoy that because you get those returning characters. The look of the film looks very much like Beverly Hills Cop 1. Mm. Come number three, it's a lot more polished. It looks a lot cleaner. Eddie Murphy's a little bit more Eddie Murphy and, and, and it's sort of just like not phoning it in but it is a character that he played before and you listen to him now and he said, look, that movie was terrible, Beverly Hills Cup 3. I just did it for the money and I wish that me now could talk to my 90s self and say, no, no, work on that script, you know, a little bit more mm. and don't just settle, don't just make this movie as, a, as another contract and another paycheck because... I like the setting of it. It's kind of fun. It still ties to, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the soft spot I have for it is the, the setting, the fact that it's set in this, um, this really cool amusement park and, and him being in the, in the giant elephant costume yeah, and all yeah. the slapstick that involves with that. I don't know. There's something. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the um, National Lampoon fan in me, you know, going travelling to Wally World. Maybe yep. it's that. I don't know. That makes me just... And the fact that as a kid that was that was that was my job. That was what I was gonna be when I grew up. I was gonna be a person in one of those suits. I was gonna be a mascot. <laughs> so I do have I do have this soft spot for the third film. So yeah, as bad as the the writing and, and that sort of stuff is in it is the the actual production of it I love. I absolutely love. And as is the flavour of all these films that happen within the house, whenever event cinemas decide to screen these films, 
there seems to be news within a week or two that follows that they're remaking it, that they're making a sequel of it, that they're doing right? a spin-off of it, right? It's happened now, so much this season and last season. It's incredible. Like, just before the, the Matrix is on a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't say just before, it was a couple of months ago now, but they're talking about making a fourth Matrix movie. Now, it could be a reboot. It could be a sequel in the sense of what the 2009 Star Trek was, where it's basically a reboot, but it kind of works within the, you know, the continuity sort of Mitch, thing. Mitch, I'm don't, not, don't, I, don't, I didn't mean to start you about Star Trek. Trek. I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to bait you. <laughs> Triggered. Triggered. <laughs> but Beverly Hills Cop, for years, they've been trying to get off this Beverly Hills Cop 4. They just keep trying to make it happen. Mm. But they end up turning it into a uh, into a TV series a couple of years ago. Well, they... Was it just a TV movie or something? Like they tried to do a TV series and they did a pilot and it didn't, didn't take That's or something? That's the thing. Technically, it just became a TV movie because it didn't get picked up for pilot because for years they're going to make this fourth movie, fourth movie, and unfortunately for Eddie Murphy is I Iconic and, and, and legendary as, as he is in the film comedy world and, and history of Hollywood, the 2000 to now have not been kind to him as far as like critical no. reception, box office results. I mean, I'm looking at Norbert from 2007, one of the worst movies you'll ever see. And he's doing a trick that he'd done in The Nutty Professor, which I really enjoy watching The Nutty Professor because he's playing, you know, five or six roles. Norbert, he plays. Yeah. Two, maybe three, I can't remember. I've never revisited that movie. But then you go through and you try and look for the last non-Shrek movie of his that was really well received. Like Tower Heist got an okay rap and he was very good yeah. in it. But other I than basically that, split his career into 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 two sections. Pre-Pluto Nash and post-Pluto Nash. <laughs> that's, for me, that's where it really, you know, takes takes a, a big hit. And I feel like prior to Pluto Nash, like, all like yeah, like his Nutty Professors and even the second one wasn't as great, but it was still, you know, it was still passable. But once he hit Pluto Nash, he, he went a bit, he went a bit Adam Sandler, you know, if, if you know what I mean there, just a bit, a bit Adam Sandler. Now, am I wrong in my memory that you have never seen Bowfinger? Never. Oh, my God. You need to get onto Bowfinger. That's from 1999, so it's pre-Pluto Nash. Well, then there's a much better chance I'll actually watch it. <laughs> I don't right. think I've like, ever okay. made it through Norbit. I, as that idiot fan that just wants to see a continuation of something that I do like, I do want to see a Beverly Hills Cop fork. I'm like, at least it'll work for him. But then you're like, well, number three didn't work, and he's regretted number three for the last 20, mm. you know, four years or whatever it's been. So, you know, they go on make this TV movie, they had Brandon T. Jackson, who, depending on which films you might know him, the, the, if you're younger, the Percy he, Jackson he franchise. Was Goat Boy, wasn't he? Yeah, Goat Boy and Percy Jackson. Yeah, Tropic Thunder, he was great. He, uh, he was the son of Axel Foley, and it was going to be about him, and Axel Foley was... You know, sort of not not so much the captain of the police station, but he was going to exist there. He was still a, a, a working police officer, and it just it didn't work. And so now it's back to trying to make it a movie. And I feel like well, there would have had to have been some fast forwarding in the timeline there for him to have a son old enough to be a police officer. Yeah, that's you true. Know, no, when you're so right. You see him in '88 and '90. What was what was Beverly Hills Cop '92? I want to say no kids. Yeah, no, you're right. So, he um, seemingly fell in love at the end of the film. So, yeah, they would have had to fast forward and it's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, Eddie Murphy looks the same as he has for the last 30 or 40 years. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, aside from Eddie Murphy and Axel Foley, just the other two of the holy trinity of Beverly Hills Cop, we've got John Ashton, Reinhold Taggart and Rosewood. 
like the chemistry, but I mean between the two cops alone, but between those three, that's what makes this movie is he is so annoying to them and they just keep, you know, they're always two steps behind him and the, you know, the banana on the tailpipe with the other two cops. And <laughs> like there's just such great moments between these three characters that essentially hate each other for most of the film. And then in turn come Beverly Hills Cop 2 where you've got Lieutenant Bogomil, uh, Ronnie Cox, our good friend uh, of our Get Into Gate chats about Stargate, who's one of the great villains of that TV show. But uh, they, they all come at that from the same place. They are friends. They are established, you know, not, not colleagues, but, you know, they, they're together from the start trying to find, you know, the killer, the shooter yeah, and that sort of arms, thing. Yeah, they you are. Know? And so you get to see two sides of, of that sort of, you know, three-way relationship. And I think that's another thing that Beverly Hills Cop 3 loses is that Taggart didn't come back. You had Rosewood who would establish himself quite high within the Beverly Hills, you know, precinct and said that, oh, Taggart, he, he's retired, you know, we're without him. And I don't know, I just feel like, yeah, they, they really lost it towards the end and that's what's so special about, you know, the, this first film is that you've got these three characters, you know, you've got a very unspoken and underdeveloped villain in Stephen Burkhoff's Victor Maitland, but... It's, you know, good to see him there. And Jonathan Banks from uh, from Breaking Bad as well as his little, you know, chief henchman and things. And you held the, the captain of uh, Inspector Todd from the Detroit Police Department, you know. Uh, Paul Reiser, uh, Bronson as well with Surge. You know, like just some great characters. And Paul Reiser. I always forget Paul Reiser's in this movie. And then every time he pops up, I go, oh, holy crap, it's Paul Reiser. Yeah. <laughs> like just, I just completely forget he's in the movie every time. Yeah. So what did you think, Maddie? How long had it been between viewings uh, of this movie? When was the last time we watched it? I want to say probably a good, at least a decade ago. Wow, wow. I think it holds up. I think it holds up. And to to see it on the big screen, sometimes you can sort of see it on a movie on the big screen and you go, ooh. But it actually enhanced it for me. You know, I guess I'd I'd never seen it on the big screen before. Um, I'd only ever seen, you know, sitting at home watching it on TV or DVD or something like that. And, And that's sort of how you get used to seeing it. But to see it being blown up and, and to hear, you know, the iconic, you know, theme song oh, just yeah. in surround sound just just sort of hyped me up again. I was like, yeah, yeah. And it took me back to when I was like, you know, 10 in primary school on the Oval, you know, and we'd be running around with, with finger guns. <laughs> like, you know, and not even, I don't think at that stage, not even knowing what it was in reference to. You just, you'd heard that music somewhere. And it got stuck in your brain. And let's talk about Legacy. That song became a remixed number one worldwide song. I don't know how long. Was it 10, 15 years ago? Crazy Frog? Do you remember that shit? Yeah, that was, what, early 2000s, I want to say? Something like that. I don't know. Maybe not long enough ago. Because while I enjoyed the fact that the modern world at the time was reliving and re-loving the Beverly Hills Cop theme song, I don't know that I wanted it to a CGI frog and friends, you know, like... No, with with junk hanging out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, and to think there's probably millennials out there who if they saw this film for the first time would go, oh, wow, that's that's a ringtone. Yeah, it used to be a ringtone. Yeah. Like, and that's their, that's their only point of reference. Yeah. Like, and their only point of connection is, is that's what they've in, encountered first is this horrible bastardised weird ringtone and, you know, synthesised stuff and just to you know enjoy it in its purity where it belongs with eddie murphy for anyone that did go and watch it for the first time like that's where you want to see it and that's what i love about this program again i keep saying this and it's not just to mark out to event cinemas we are partnering up with them but i say this with absolute honesty and purity maddie 
this is why you want to have a program like this because you want to see these movies up on the big screen. Oh, definitely. In I... particular, a fortnight's time, Kill Bill, not only getting to watch them up on the big screen again because they were only 14 years ago or whatever it was, but mm. back to back because they came out six months apart. To be able just to watch it, event cinemas hit play again and you get number two straight away. You know, you get to enjoy four hours of it. But it is. You, you're right. Big screen is the way to go. I mean, we obviously watch a lot of movies um, and I still have a vivid memory of, you know, like I've been watching Star Wars since I was, you know, eight years old. I still have the vivid memory of walking into the cinema late, going to see um, Empire Strikes Back at the re-release in like, in like you know, the, the late 90s yeah. and walking in and seeing Hoth on the big screen for the first time because I was, you know, I was running in late. And that's, that's ingrained in my brain. Like that's, I have that memory, you know, and that's not going anywhere. So it's to see these films that you've seen on the small screen, to actually finally see them on the big screen, it really does change your viewing for them. So you've, if you've got the opportunity, you've definitely got to do it for, for classics like this. Yeah, I can't wait. Two weeks' time, August 25, Kill Bill is coming our way. So you can get your tickets at eventcinemas.com.au. It is cheaper if you become a Cinebuzz member. And I guess the best thing about being a Cinebuzz member is that it's free to do it and then you're saving money. So I'd say it pays for itself, but you're not paying anything. You're just automatically you're yeah. actually saving money by becoming a free member. It's easy. So get involved, Kill Bill. Just put it towards popcorn. Look, mate, you're making too much sense. You're making too much sense. Okay, we'll see you back. Kill Bill in uh, two weeks' time, August 25. Jump onto eventcinemas.com.au. Find the cinema near you that is playing the program. It does run all the way through until December 8th with Die Harder. We here at Get On A Geek are going to be back each and every fortnight to talk about the movies that are playing, review them, do what we've done tonight, just sort of talk about their legacy, whether they worked back then, whether they work better now. Yada, yada, yada. We'll enjoy it and be back for Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. Uh, you can check us out on the socials in the meantime, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just simply search at Get Into Geek. Depending on where you're listening to us, our podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're talking movies, TV shows, trailers, even. Uh, so you can go check us out, SoundCloud and iTunes. Just simply search Get Into Geek. Myself, though, Mitch underscore Lewis on Twitter and Instagram. Maddie, where can we find you? Uh, at High Pitch Maddie on Instagram. See you back in two weeks' time for Kill Bill. Uh, in the meantime, check out the full program, eventcinemas.com.au, and check out all their podcasts get into geek catch you next time Matty now that I think we sound more like crazy frogs than the real one god we should stop get into geek.com